I hope your Christmas was fantastic. I had a great time. I had um, thought that my gift to my family would be me shaving my mustache. But then I went to do it, and I came to my senses. So... I want to bring your attention today um, to a few verses in the Bible, in the context of the new year uh, rolling over us. In a few short days, uh, people all over the world uh, will probably be doing a wide variety of things as they reflect on one year that's gone and another year on the horizon. Uh, People will probably be rejoicing that it's over, probably, (laughs) sighing a sigh of relief, (laughs) Um, Some will be mourning the loss of relationships that couldn't survive the polarizing atmosphere of our culture. Some will be uh, mourning the loss of those who've passed in 2020. Some will be mourning the undesired change that the lockdowns brought to their lives personally. And some people will probably just be looking back in bewilderment and confusion. And as most do, many will be looking forward and planning how they intend this year, 2021, to be better than the last, at least in areas that they can control, right? And every time a new year rolls around, even the most cynical among us can't help but feel that maybe, just maybe, the closing of a year and the beginning of a new year is just what we need to finally help us in changing this habit or that habit and revitalizing our life and kickstarting our budget and getting our diet rolling and starting to work out again, whether it's flossing or going to the gym or dieting. Or if you're a Christian, you're thinking, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve the poor more. Most people tend to imagine how they will get more serious, right? And this year, this year, take life by the horns and steer their life towards a happier existence, whatever that might mean. Now, as a Christian, at its best, New Year's can remind us that honest self-examination and self-assessment has an important place in Christian maturity. At its worst, New Year's can push us not only towards being more self-obsessed and narcissistic, in our preoccupation with our own sense of happiness, but worse, prop up the modern hubristic idea that in the end, it is we ourselves that have ultimate control over our existence. We chatting? Or you could say it this way. At its best, New Year's causes us to take time to look inward with honesty and ask, where has my heart drifted from the grace and glory of Jesus. It's a positive consequence of times like New Year's. At its worst, New Year's compounds our notion of our own divine sovereignty over our lives and further convinces us that if we just try harder this time, we can really be the self-made person all the magazines and articles promise us that we can be. Side note, of all the things that 2020 has shaken, among the top 
must be our society's notion of our own divine control over our lives. I'd argue it's one of the reasons why people are losing their minds in anger and frustration. Because the bill of goods they've been sold clearly says through science, through medicine, through self-will, we can control the universe, can tame it and bend it to our will without exception. Does it not? Is that not the air we breathe? That we are king of the universe and that through modern medicine and the will of men, we can contrive whatever solution to any problem that could ever exist. We can fix everything with progress and science. It's the air we breathe. It's, the, it's what we're brought up on. You can do it. You can change it. You can guide your life. You are the ultimate and unchallenged captain of your fate. It's the air we breathe. In 2020, has shown many in no uncertain terms that in fact they are not God. There are things outside of our control, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, that in reality, many more things that are outside of our control than our modern society can tolerate. We like to pretend that we are in full control of our lives. And it's absolutely enraged people. People have lost their minds because it has challenged their notion of divinity over their own hearts and lives. They've been confronted with a harsh reality that I am not God, that I do not control the universe. And our society, like I said, can't tolerate it. See, unlike Christians who can trust amidst the difficulties, amidst times that we could never see or imagine that there is a sovereign, loving God in control, even when we may not be able to see or fully understand his whole plan, the secular soul has only confidence in the sovereignty of self, which ends either in self-hatred or self-worship. This year has challenged our faith in our own divinity our ultimate control over things to make our life whatever we'd like it to be. And as we turn the corner of a new year, I just want to lay some things before you. And today is less of a sermon, more of a kind of quick devotional. We will not be long this morning, right? As you begin to think about the areas of your life that you would like to have a sense of newness, that New Year's so often promises. As you think about your life and perhaps the bad habits formed over lockdown, maybe you're the kind of person who started good habits. Good for you. <laughs> I don't know. That's amazing. I don't know how you did it. But I'd like to submit a few Christian concepts for reflection, primarily around the idea of newness, and that when New Year's rolls around, we all seem to find within us, even the most cynical among us, a longing for newness, a longing for a sense of reboot, right? A sense of renewal, second chances. That's what New Year's tends to bring to our imagination. And what I'm going to contend with you today is that the newness that your soul 
longs for can and will only be found in Jesus. Amen. Not new diets, not new gyms, not even new toys or new mustaches. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know? I, just, I was too vanilla. You know? I had to throw it. I had to just kind of change it up some. If you're a podcaster and you're not seeing me, just think like Tom Selleck and Wyatt Earp. <laughs> Okay, sorry, yeah, wouldn't you say? Sorry, this is, if you're a guest, you're like, you are crazy. Some people are going to find a new church over this, I guarantee it. Find a church without a mustached pastor. All right, here we go. Um, Revelations 21 is uh, the verse we're going to look at this morning. One through five. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, is Siri going to read it to us? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. When the Bible talks of newness, it doesn't refer to how we often think of newness. For example, is that a new iPhone? Is this a new TV? As in, is this something newer and therefore better than the old version, right? Newest tech gadgets and new restaurants, new faster computers. We often think of new as something that has never been in existence before, but rather when the Bible talks of newness, it is in terms of renewal, not something that has never been before, but something that has been and has been broken and fractured and grown old and corrupted and dirtied and aged and wrinkled and that thing being made new Again, the newness that the Bible talks about is a redemptive newness. It's a newness of a thing that everyone else would have said, this thing has no value anymore. It has been broken, corrupted, dirtied, stained, filthied. When the Bible talks of newness, it talks of taking a thing that someone else said is for the trash heap, and the Bible says, no, I can yet make it new again. Renewal is the language of the Bible. Something that everyone else would have said, something that even we ourselves would say is for the trash heap. Like our own self-worth. Like the way we've responded this year. Like the uncharitable things that have been said this year. Worthy of the trash heap. God looks at 
and says, even that can be renewed. Even that can be redeemed in historical redemption and breathed life into it again. God's love is not intimidated by your self-hatred. God doesn't look at you and say, well, he had a shot and he lost it. God looks at you and assigns value to you even when you don't assign it to yourself. That's the gospel. When the Bible talks about newness, it talks about making something new again, redeeming it, renewal. Or we could think of it this way. When you would look at any person and say, they're too far gone, unfriend, <laughs> unfollow, right? Too dirty, too broken, too corrupted by the pleasure or the power that this world promises. God says, even my love can make them new again. Not only that, but the newness of God, the kind of newness that God offers makes all our attempts at transformation seem shallow and unsubstantial. See, when New Year's rolls around, we often settle for newness on the outside, don't we? Superficial newness. That's why the gyms are going to be packed next week. In fact, the newness of God so far transcends shallow, superficial newness that Jesus says the newness that he gives is like being born again. Now, that language is intentional. The Son of God chose that picture for a reason, y'all. He said, to know me, to walk with me, is like being born again. Think of the innocence and purity that we associate with little babies. Right? We look at a baby, we look at a child, and we say to ourselves, they haven't been corrupted yet. We say to ourselves, that child is unstained by the way we are, by pleasure in our pursuit of power, in our pursuit of influence, right? Well, we know that sin lives in that little cute baby. They haven't walked out that brokenness yet. And so when we think of children, we think of innocence, don't we? It's what most people mean when they say childlikeness. Think of the energy and youthfulness of children. Isn't that, in some way, what we are doing when we chase after physical health? Aren't we in some way chasing after a newness, a, a, uh, a never-ending youth? Isn't that the promise of health and diet and exercise and modern medicine, that it can make your life last longer? We like to pretend that we don't think we live forever, but in reality, we do, don't we? And we think, if I can preserve this power pack that I've been given, that I can extend the longevity of my life, we all seek that kind of life that doesn't end, don't we? So what's so interesting about the pursuit uh, of Jesus is he said, if you believe in me, your newness of life will never end. Amen. That's what he said. In fact, he said that the newness of that youthfulness, that the newness of that life will be in you 
a fountain that bubbles up and never runs dry. That's what Jesus promises us. Look at me, y'all. I exercise, all right? I love, last my friends, I love exercise, all right? I'm not saying don't exercise, right? Like, I'm going to be amongst the mindless hordes getting a membership next week, all right? It's already on my schedule. All I'm trying to tell you is if you think newness of life can be achieved, the kind of newness that your soul longs for can be achieved by physical fitness or diets, You may even achieve the shape you want. The newness of soul that you long for will elude you. Do you know why? Because renewal is God's business. Or as the Bible says, it's Jesus who has the keys of life. And that only he can open that door that you may enter. And that that door that is the only door that enters into life, has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The door to true newness, y'all, is not a door to more money or possessions or houses or remodeled houses or nicer houses or different spouses, right? All the ways that we try to grasp for newness in our hearts and lives. Many of us this year will trod down those paths eagerly in what I would call a blind naivety to the reality of things, searching for newness in these places. And all I want to contend with you today is this. It's really, really simple. That you will not find the door to newness of life unless that door is Jesus himself. It's a very simple thing I'm saying to you this morning. You don't don't have to be very wise or intelligent to understand what I'm saying. The door to newness of life, the door that we all long for, especially around this time of year, is Jesus himself. He said, actually, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah. See, the Bible ends with the renewal of all things. And if you call yourself a Christian, that is where your hope hope ultimately lies in being made new. One of the most amazing claims about Jesus, amazing claims and the teachings of Jesus is that this idea that that renewal that we just read about begins here and now. That is one of the basic claims in the teachings of Jesus. It is that we can taste that renewal that I just described, that John described in John uh, Revelation 21, that we can taste that renewal here and now before death. It's what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's what the New Testament writers meant when they called the Holy Spirit a deposit of what is to come. In fact, Paul would say it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ now, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Same phrase almost that we read in Revelations earlier. In some of your translations, if you look at that scripture, that's what, 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians? Thank you, sir, 517. Some of your translations, if you have ASV or KJV, might say, in Christ, all things are become new. Might say that, which is actually a more accurate translation of, of the language there. 
And you'd say, well, that, that doesn't make sense because they've messed up their past and present. You don't, all things aren't become new. It's either it is becoming new or has become new, right? Those are the present and past tenses that we would work with. But the most accurate translation is uh, all things are become new. Which one is it? Has it become or is it becoming? Yes. That's the answer. That's what Christian theology would say. Yes, it has and it is. It's the same word used both in past and present tense. It's used to mean to cause or to become, right? But it's also used to talk about the process of becoming, right? Not to turn, but to be in the state of turning. Not has been transformed, but is presently transforming now. It's the word genomai, all right? It's used to say something has been made. And it's also used to say something is presently being made. And it's perfect because thus is the work of Christ in us. It's done, but it's not done, right? We've been cleansed, but we are being cleansed. We've been redeemed. Yes and amen. That's what we were singing about. But we are being redeemed presently, currently. We have been renewed, and we are being renewed right now. We've been saved fully and forever, yes and amen. And you are told, even though you have been saved fully and forever, you are told to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, right? And in Jesus, in Jesus alone, you have been made, and you are being remade, right? We are, and we either cooperate with that transformation, with that process, or we oppose it in our hearts. It's why Paul calls us to be renewed, right, in the spirit of your minds, Ephesians 4.23 or Colossians 3.10, to put on a new self, right, uh, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. In Romans, it's why he says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Jesus' name, right, in your reflections, as you enter the year of 2021, I want to lay before you that your next year will either be full of newness of life or absent of it, dependent not on your physicality, your wealth, or your spouse, but on the position of your heart towards Jesus. Amen. I want to contend with you that the newness of life that you will experience or the lack thereof is fully dependent on the proximity of your heart with Jesus. That is the claim of Christianity, and that is the truth that I'm trying to remind you of today. You will not enter a new season of true living unless the door to that season is Jesus himself. That's the Christian claim. Now, some will rail against that claim as narrow and bigoted, and others will realize that it is the only source of salvation and enter in joyfully and experience a kind of life that no amount of wisdom or intellect or science can achieve for us here and now in this life. I want to remind you that the newness of life Jesus freely offers is of a quality and brightness that is unreachable by any means known to man. Did you hear me? The quality and brightness of life Jesus offers us is of a quality and brightness that is unreachable by the means of men. We cannot access that life in our own steam. The good news of the gospel is that that life has been freely given, right?
One of the main reasons that the life of Jesus is brighter and quality and an enjoyment than any life that we could ever achieve on our own is because his love removes you from the throne of your own existence. That's one of the reasons that his life and love, the newness of that life, is so much greater than any newness that we could achieve. Because you know why? You make a crummy God. Even in the interior of your own life, you make a crummy God. One of the reasons the life of God brings joy and peace to us is because it takes us off the throne of our lives and causes us to acknowledge the goodness of the giver and creator and the recreator of life and that his presence is with us. I want to lay before you today that the love of God is the only kind in the universe that can truly bring newness of life. It's the only source that fully heals. It's the only thing that nourishes deeply. The love and presence of God is like the water our souls were made to drink and are shriveled up without. The love and presence of God is the food we were meant to eat and are malnourished without. It's why the psalmist, it's what the psalmist was getting at in Psalm 63 when he says, I earnestly seek God as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's saying that his soul thirsts for God. That's actually what he says exactly, my soul thirsts for God. He's acknowledging something, y'all, about the ability or inability of this world to truly and deeply fulfill us. He's saying seeking newness by natural means is like pulling up sand from a dry well and hoping it will quench your thirst. He's saying this whole dry and weary land bit New things, new commitments, new ambitions, new diets, new workout routines, all of which I hope are in my next year, right? Fine things, love those things. He's saying all of that crumbles in your mouth and will ultimately fail to fulfill you in the way your soul longs to be fulfilled. Do we have ears to hear things like this these days? He's saying we live in a wilderness. And in a wilderness, y'all, we will... Throw off things that we feel are unnecessary for life, and we will clutch things to our chest that we know are necessary for life. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like man v. wild, right? You know, man versus wild? And it's like, you can't be carrying around a flat screen TV on man versus wild, right? No, you're going to throw off all the stuff. He's going to rummage through that plane wreck. He's going to grab a few things that are essential for life, and he's going to make sure you got it, right? Food, water, shelter, what are the things? That's what all of you have done this year. This year has shaken us to such the extent that we have thrown off things, some, some good things we've thrown off, and some bad things we've thrown off, and we have run to what we truly think gives us life, haven't we? That's what we have to reflect on as the new year rolls over us. Those are the questions we should be asking ourselves. Not, what kind of mess is all this nation in and all these things, but rather, how have you responded to the mess? What has it brought up in you? What are the good things that you have thrown out because survival has risen to the top of your priority list? And what are the unhealthy things that you have found clutched to your chest? And what does that reveal about your heart? See, what it, when we look down to our own surprise, amidst a time of chaos. Are we talking? 
when, when things just seem to be floating off the ground and people and places that you had faith in crumble around you, when relationships you thought would never fade are gone, when the whole world just seems to be dis, like, like Marvel, I just, like, you know what I'm talking about? The end of that one movie where they all just like flutter away in ashes. Anyone feel that a little bit this year? When things feel like they're just dissipating around you, things you have relied on and trusted in, and you look down and you see the few things that you've clutched to your chest. It's surprising, isn't it? And you realize, that's what I thought brought life. Because here I am, clutching it to my chest when all the other things are floating off the ground. That's what 2020 has done for me. <laughs> and I'd argue it's because we don't really believe Jesus when he calls himself the living water and the bread of life that we find ourselves on the Ferris wheel seeking renewal and reviving in other places and things that have no power to do it. So my prayer for you today is that you will take time to reflect and that you will not reflect on, like I said, what a wreck of the year has been, but more specifically, how have you responded to it and what you truly believe brings you life and hope, right? This year has been a profoundly destabilizing year for so many people, right? And I hope that you have time to reflect on the things that you've thrown off and the things you've picked up, right? There are probably things that you have thrown to the side this year that you need to pick back up for the health of your soul. Relationships, healthy habits, for some people, kindness. <laughs> yeah. There are probably some things also that you've clung to your chest that you know in the long run is not good for you, that you need to open your grip of and allow the Lord into that space and into the insecurity that you feel in that area and invite him to comfort your soul in a way that that thing can't, right? My prayer for us is that we will meet with God at some point in this following week and invite him into the areas that we have potentially fled from him in the, in the castle of our heart, right? Rooms that we've closed the doors to, windows that we've barred shut to the presence of God so that we can have our way with our little power pack and and what we want to do with it. I want to read to you, I want to leave you today with the reading, a uh, short reading from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He says this, the ordinary idea which we all have before we become Christians is this. We take as starting point our ordinary self with its various desires and interests. Then we admit that something else, call it morality or decent behavior or the good of society, has claims on this self, claims which interfere with its own desires. And what we mean by being good is giving in to those claims. Some of the things the ordinary self wanted to do turn out to be what we call wrong. Well, we must give them up. Other things which the self did not want to do, charitable things, turn out to be what we call right. Well, we, we have to do them now. But we are hoping all the time that when all the demands of morality have been met, the poor natural self will still have some chance, some time to get on with its own life and do what it likes. 
In fact, we are very much like an honest man paying his taxes. He pays them all right, goes to church, does the things, but he does hope that there will be enough left over for him to live on because we are still taking our natural self as the starting point. The Christian way is different to morality, to to that kind of life. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the truth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over your whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand, your, is to hand over your whole self all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time, be good. We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this, to behave chastely and honestly and humbly. This is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. He said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I will still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. That is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking the other point of view, Letting the other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on, all day. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. We can only do it for moments at first. But from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system. Because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. It is the difference between paint which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or stain which soaks right through to the center. He never talked, Jesus, never talked vague, idealistic gas. When he said, be perfect, he meant it. He meant that we must go in for the full treatment. It is hard, but the sort of compromise we are all hankering after is harder. In fact, it is impossible saying either we yield the throne of our lives to the true king 
and allow his new life to rush in over the threshold. Or we remain on the throne of our lives and seek other lesser means of new life over and over until we either lose hope or die. Jesus, remind our fickle hearts that you and you alone can give life. Let's stand and pray.